And welcome back to another installment of The Conspiracy Skeptic Unplugged. I'm your conspiracy skeptic, Carl Mamer. And with me today is uh, my my uh, my guest, Stuart Robbins. I, I can use your name, right, Stuart? Yes. Okay, because you, you, you seem to sort of go by the uh, num de guerre uh, astro stew. Yeah, it, it's you know, just just a moniker online. It works. All right. And, it gets uh, the concept across. Yeah. So Astro, I, I realize Astro Stew doesn't stand for Astro Student. It stands for Astro Stewart. Right. Okay, but it could be both because you, you're actually you're, – you're still a student. Yes. Okay. I'm a fourth-year graduate student right now. Okay. I, I guess uh, for first a bit of background, uh, you are the uh, – you, you write a blog called – Exposing pseudo astronomy. Exposing pseudo astronomy, yeah, and we're we're kind of both big uh, big users of uh, the SGU, the Skeptics Guide to the Universe message board, and I think that's how we sort of encountered each other. Yep, I think we have a sort of a, a shared fascination with uh, uh, a guy who does another podcast, sort of the, you know from the other side uh, called Skeptico. Uh, Yes. <laughs> yeah. One uh, Alex Zakaris, who, who I, I think I've mentioned on this podcast before, but uh, yeah, he, he sort of does kind of a uh, sort of a credulous kind of. Uh, uh, yeah, Alex seems to believe that do- that dogs are psychic and can sort of predict when uh, when their owners are coming home. But uh, he's thrown up a couple of YouTube videos, and um, it. it See, b- both times it seems like the uh, you know the uh, the owner goes away and the dog sort of just waits around a bit and then after about twenty minutes goes, eh, that's long enough and then just goes and sort of sits and waits for the owner to come home and sure enough the owner comes home you know like in a in a predictable amount of time so I don't know uh, Alex seemed to think that was psychic behavior but it just seemed like the dog just sort of knows. He seems to think that just about everything is psychic behavior. <laughs> yeah, except uh, except skeptics, where uh, or you know, nothing we do is psychic. It's all just cold, right. evil but, logic. But you have to remember, if we can't explain how our lack of psychic powers work to derive something that is psychic, then it's psychic. Absolutely. Yes. So if we can't explain our cold reading, then it's psychic. Yes, according yeah. to Alex. Yes, Alex is uh, he's big into the into the gaps. Almost. Not not quite god of the gaps, but uh the uh the well, he he's big into the so the mind body dualism. He thinks that you know yes. the, the the brain plus something else is required to explain consciousness and uh yeah. But uh but your 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 blog actually one thing that really sort of interests me about your blog is you sort of take on the uh, uh, creationists, but from sort of the, the astronomy perspective. Yeah, um, I like it. It's, it's fun because creationist claims for astronomy, or at least the young Earth creationist claims, I haven't really looked into old Earth ones, are just so demonstrably wrong. And they're just, they lie. They really just lie about the facts. And so it's it's sometimes fun to debunk them, but I just actually did a post, uh, I think, 
two days ago okay. where I really had to sort of take a deep breath before I wrote <laughs> it because the article just made me so frustrated that the guy would just lie so much. Either he was lying or he was completely ignorant of what was going on. Like, for example, he claimed that astronomers believe that in order for Mars to have had its magnetic field, that it was surrounded by these huge belts of asteroids that invoke this magnetic field on the planet. And somehow these asteroids were able to clear out of the way by now, and they were also (laughs) able to uh, avoid hitting Mars' two moons, Phobos and Deimos. I have never heard of that idea, and you know, I've heard of a lot of crazy astronomy views. And th- so he was using basically a straw man. He was taking this sort of fringe belief by one person who wrote one paper and saying, this is what astronomers believe, and isn't this silly? And so this is right. what creationism is right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because this is silly, right? Therefore, creationism. Uh, but I, I guess we should point out that you are uh, you're, you're an astronomy student? Uh, technically, I think, yes. Okay. <laughs> I fit into that category. All right. What, 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 are you, what, are you, what are you studying? You're, you're, you're working on your PhD. Right. Okay. Um, so right now I'm actually studying Mars. Um, I study craters on Mars. So okay. what I do day in and day out is I draw circles. <laughs> yes, there's got to be there's got to be something more to it. Um, <laughs> sometimes, if I'm lucky, I get to draw an ellipse. Okay. But, no, I'm actually really afraid that I'm going to get to my PhD defense, and my advisor is going to say, "All right." For our last question, in order to get your PhD, you need to get up to the board and draw a perfect circle, and I'm not going to be able to do it. (laughs) um, No, what I'm doing is I'm uh, creating the first global Martian crater catalog um, that is statistically complete to about one and a half kilometers, and that's going to involve about, uh, we estimate, 250,000 craters, so okay. that's a lot of circles. And, and, and are you doing this by yourself, or are you, are you working with anybody else? Uh, I'm doing it by myself, although my advisor's promised that uh, he'll hire me an undergraduate minion this summer. Ah, uh, okay, cool, yeah, you wow. Gotta, gotta love those minions. <laughs> and what, 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 what would they do with this catalog crater, like, in the future? Like, a, like you know, the Human Genome Project or something, where it's like, <laughs> ooh, you know... <laughs> Is it, is it on that order of usefulness, or what? What, what, what? I wouldn't go quite that far, but craters are very useful in determining ages of okay. surface. In fact, really, craters are one of the only ways that we have of estimating ages of the surfaces of solid objects in the solar system, other than the moon. Because with the moon, we have actual samples that we can right. date by radioactive decay. Okay. So okay. Uh, it, it's very useful for that. Um, it can be used to test um, uh, models of erosion rates. It can be used to test uh, planetary circulation models because different crater because a crater will erode differently in one type of atmosphere with one type of wind versus uh, another type or with different erosion rates. And there, there are about a dozen different uh, uses that we thought up of for a grant that didn't oh, cool. quite get funded, but. <laughs> And, uh, oh, and I also who, do research with Saturn's rings. Wow, okay. Yeah. 
in body and, simulations. And who, 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 where do you get your funding from? Like, who, who funds you? Uh, NASA. Do you, do you get to do you get to go to NASA? Hang out with NASA people? Do they ever come visit you? Or, um, not really. I mean, yeah, you always have the obligatory conferences that people are at, but otherwise, okay. um, it's just uh, grant writing or fellowship writing in this case. Okay, so they don't come by and like drop off posters for you or anything like that. Not that I know of. Not for me specifically, I can say. But so, so you're technically cashing a NASA paycheck, so you're you're part of the conspiracy. If you want to call it that, however. I drive a crappy car, <laughs> so <laughs> if I were really high up in the conspiracy, you'd think that actually, no, I probably wouldn't spend the money on a car. I'd probably spend it on a hobby. <laughs> I have well, yeah. old coins, but yeah. Well, I, yeah, I drive a 95 well, Pontiac Firefly, which is uh, – I don't think you can get that model in Canada. It's like you know the Ford Prefect, you know, or I mean you can't get that model in America, uh, Pontiac Firefly, sort of a uh, – Chevy Sprint or something like that. I don't know. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you drive? I drive a Subaru Impreza, which I think just about every other person in Colorado drives a Subaru. Okay. All right. So you're, 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 you're in – where are you, in Colorado? Yes. I'm actually about two miles south of the University of Colorado in Boulder. Do you ever get to uh, the, uh, another podcast, I think, out of Colorado, uh, Dog, Dogma Free America? Do you ever listen to Dogma Free America? I've been meaning to, but the one time when I thought, "Oh, I should listen to that," I forgot to actually do it when I had, when I was actually at a computer. Yeah, I, I highly recommend Dogma Free America, and they, they don't really deal too much with science. It's mostly sort of a well. Their motto is, you know, religious dogma makes you crazy, and uh, it's, all, it's always something quite quite interesting. And but I guess with your your uh, your blog exposing pseudo-astronomy, uh, you, know, you, you might find some interesting interesting things there. Well, are, are, are you a native Coloradian? What do you call yourselves? Coloradians? Uh, Col- Coloradoians? I call people from Boulder Boulderians. All right. But I think that's a term unique to me. At least I haven't heard other people say it. Okay. Um, I'm actually originally from Missouri, but I really don't consider myself from Missouri uh, – to be from Missouri because I'm was raised in Ohio from uh, the age of two and a half. Ah, Ohio, yeah. and uh, where 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 in Ohio? Uh, Cincinnati or a suburb of Cincinnati. Okay, uh, no, it's Cleveland has the Rock and Roll Hall right, of Cleveland Fame. Has the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I went there for college. All right, Cincinnati. F- former mayor of Cincinnati was uh, a lot of people. Well. <laughs> Well, who, who's 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 the guy that has the awful TV show now? Oh, Jerry Springer. Jerry Springer wasn't he? Was he mayor of Cincinnati? I think so. Um, I all I remember about Jerry Springer is that he was the one who hired prostitutes with a credit card or something like that. Uh, he wrote a check. Yeah, yeah right wrote over a check. Wrote yeah, a check. yeah. Or you're you're very close to uh, Kentucky, right? Yeah, Cincinnati's I, right on the border. Yeah, the right. Yes, Kentucky. Because like, that used to scare me because I'm from originally from Windsor, Ontario, which is just you know right across the river from Detroit. And then you, you kind of look at a map and you sort of see that, God, if it wasn't for Ohio, you know, <laughs> they're like a buffer state between 
Canada and Kentucky. And, you know, Canadians are very afraid of America in general, but, you know. And Southern Ken- Americans, yeah. Kentucky just sounds like the South to us. So it's like, you know, no matter how much, whenever those Michigan people make fun of people from Ohio, you know, us Canadians are like, don't make fun of them because they're, <laughs> they're keeping back the hordes. Well, Cincinnati was actually one of the uh, last stops on the Underground Railroad. So the Underground Railroad sort of came through Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. So All straight right. through Kentucky on to Cincinnati and freedom. Yeah, and, yeah, and eventually into Canada. Win- Windsor was a, sort of a big terminus for the, uh, the, uh, the, the Underground Railroad, which I guess – I teach that part in American history. Oh, really? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> in Canadian history, it's all just like, well, everybody in America just had slaves. There weren't – we don't ever learn about the slave-free states, you know, that kind of thing. It's like you're just – you were all evil. And like, you know, as part of the British Empire, like, oh, like we never had slaves. Oh, no, no, no. But then you kind of find out, oh, no, yeah, the, the Brits had slaves too. They just, you know, eliminated slavery. I don't know how – you know, 50 years before the Americans eliminated slavery, but I don't know. Wow. All right. So, uh, I, and I guess being in Cincinnati, because the what that that uh, creationism museum is is Ugh. down there. Yeah, it's down there yes. in Kentucky, right? So, so uh, did did you ever go to the creationism museum in in Kentucky, or ever have? I really a- wanted to. To be perfectly okay. honest, I really wanted to, but I really didn't want to pay them twenty five dollars to get in. That's the downside, isn't it? Yeah. Right. Like, actually, and my dad, who's also a scientist, wanted to go too, but he was of the same mind. He was like, "I'm not going to pay them twenty five dollars to get into that place." Yeah, it's like yeah. Uh, expelled. You know, you yeah. you, you kind of want to go see that expelled movie just to sort of you know laugh at it, but you don't you don't want to give them your money. So. Yeah, well, that's why I, actually a friend of mine and I just watched it two days ago. Expelled. Yeah. Uh, and what was your what was your opinion? It was a real piece of work. <laughs> I mean, okay. I agree that it you know regardless of which side of the debate you're on, it was just a poorly made movie. Did they, it does expel? Does it have the because one of the DI you know one of their uh, the Discovery Institute one of the real poster childs for you know kind of the uh, supposedly you know. Uh, you know, big science like, is against you know alternative theories. Uh, there, there, there's the astronomer, Gonzalez. Uh, right? Yes, and he. Uh, he I, th- I think I think I sort of covered him in, in a podcast. He uh, he uh, he he did he did that movie or something, the documentary, the privileged privileged planet. Right from his book, which he co-wrote with uh, some other guy. Right. Okay. Right. And this sort of you know supposedly you know. Ended his career in academia or something like that, but it just sort of you know when you looked at the facts, it just was like you know he just wasn't bringing in grant money because he wanted to sort of study things nobody wanted to pay him to research and well, no, you know he did bring like, in some grant money. He got grants from the Discovery Institute. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> to, to write yeah to write popular books or make popular documentaries and stuff. Well, it's like you know, uh, an ID go- is a case just like. It's not quite as bad as the creationists. The ID people are more insidious, but just like the creationists, they will just lie about the quote-unquote facts. Like um, I listened to the podcast, ID the Future. Oh, um, really? Oh, you, yeah. You, regularly or just – oh, no, I'm, would... I'm an avid listener. I listen to okay, every, cool. everyone except the ones where I think John West speaks because it's just – it's it's worse than Casey Luskin. Yeah, there was an episode where they were going over this, and Casey Luskin, who is sort of the spokesperson on that podcast, was just talking about how 
Guillermo Gonzalez had all of these uh, academic papers and more academic papers than anyone else in his department. And Casey was like, I used the NASA astrophysical data system to look up his paper count, and it was like 73 papers. And I'm like, okay, well, this is something that I can check. And so I did the same thing, and I found about two dozen papers over the same time period, and a lot of them were just conference abstracts that – you know, those of us who don't have a lot of papers out will count as papers, but don't really okay. count as papers. So yeah, yeah it's just it, more lies. Like I, I guess I got I got to ask the uh, the standard Korean questions. You know, when you when you're in Korea, Koreans they, they they before they can start talking to you, they have to sort of determine like social position. You know, uh, you know, am I am I, you know, in a superior social position to this person or am I this person's inferior? So they, they so they ask what to the West sort of sounds like very rude questions, but they just have to figure this out before they can start talking. They're 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 kind of like modems. They they have to sort of negotiate to figure out, you know, with some some raw data before they can figure out what level of sort of politeness to be using with each other. So uh uh so uh, how, how how old are you? I am younger than you are. Now I'm uh, 25. 25, cool. Okay, and are are you are you married? Nope. Nope. Okay, and uh, that's it then. <laughs> those would be the, those would be the uh, the personal questions. The, the, well, then Koreans will then because uh, 25, you know, that's uh, you should be married by 25. So Koreans will then will then ask, well, why aren't you married? <laughs> because I'm a student and I have no free time. <laughs> I I would always answer that one with because I'm too ugly. Well, yeah, but I'm not going to say that about myself. <laughs> Other people I, may say that, but I'm not going to say that. Well, I had one little girl. She's like, but you know, but teacher, my my father is ugly, and he got married. Oh. <laughs> I'm like, oh boy. So I'm like, well, yeah, what do you say oh, to that? Yeah, well, then I go, well, only smart boys can get married. And then she's like, but teacher, my father is not smart. <laughs> like, all right, this isn't going to leave the room. Let's, let's, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's where you just say, you smile and nod and say, all right, <laughs> moving on. Right. But before, before we get onto your conspiracy, because this is sort of the, uh, that's sort of the, the object of conspiracy skeptic unplugged. Where uh, where I sort of find a sort of a, you know interesting or notable person in the podcasting or skeptical blogging community, and then you know kind of get them to sort of pick their favorite conspiracy. Uh, I want to sort of come back to the you know the young Earth creationism. What what is what is what is because the, the young Earth creationists obviously they believe you know the Earth and the universe and everything. Nothing is more than six thousand years old. Some some kind of like bend a bit and go well maybe 10,000 maybe 100,000 years old but you know 6,000 is kind of the uh the, the standard figure sort of based on based on what was it? who who's the guy's name bishop bishop Josh asher or something like that yeah right who sort of you know calculate all the you know this guy begat that guy and that guy begat that guy and then came up out it's like 6,000 years december 12th on a tuesday or something something bizarre yeah all right so so uh, 
you know what they're sort of their little six thousand year old idea they definitely come in conflict a lot with uh you know like with with sort of astronomy because obviously astronomy posits you know like, i mean the earth alone is about what's it up to about four four point five billion years yeah they have it to a few more decimal places than that, but I don't know what they are offhand, so four point five is good <laughs> so so obvious obviously you know i mean uh one of them has to go. Either you know, astronomy has to go, or the Bible has to go. And we all know, in you know, sort of the, uh, the fundamentalist mind, which which one, which one is the keeper? Uh, so, what is like the to you? What is, what is the the stupidest stupidest uh, sort of claim you've ever seen from a uh, you know a young Earth creationist about uh, you know about astronomy? They're, they're, there's just so much crap to uh, to uh, to choose from, isn't there? Right. Uh, there are three main ones, and of those three main ones, without mentioning them, I'll just mention the the one that I think is easiest to show is just wrong and just flies in the face of good science, and that's the comet issue. I mean, they they claim that comets prove that the universe can't be more than ten thousand years old, and why? Well, that's because comets are still here. And then they go through some very fuzzy math with numbers that conflict with each other and then say, we've also never observed this vast reservoir of comets that astronomers say is the source of them, so which the is the Oort, Oort, Oort cloud. Right, Oort cloud. Yeah, Oort, uh, named after Jan Oort. And they say that because we've never seen it, it doesn't exist. So, <laughs> the, the irony there, of course, is... I know. Like, <laughs> come on, people. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, they, yeah, I mean that one is really probably the main one. I would say it's just one of the stupidest. All right, and uh, you know, another question I had for uh, have for you is uh, your your blog is is really really good blog, and it's 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 incredibly fun to read, and you you explain everything very well, and uh, and 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 I always I, I sort of. My sort of line with line about you is uh, you sometimes out fill plate fill plate, you know, uh, and 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 you're you're still a young guy, you know, you're not even out of uh, university yet, and and you've you've got you know you've got a great uh, you've got a great writing style and a great ability to sort of you know take really complicated things and sort of explain it well, and you know you kind of know that good engaging topics and stuff all you know qualities fill plate. Do you have more hair than fill plate? Uh, not for long. <laughs> okay, yeah. Hey, I know. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you, mother. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I always say, uh, you know, you know, a receding hairline. It's like I, I try to explain it to women. It's like, it's like, imagine every day being a bad hair day, each day being a little bit worse than the one before. You know, then it's like, oh, now I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. So. It just sort of seems to me that you know when you when you think of like you know the really great scientists who can sort of interface well with the public who can really sort of you know the, the public face of science who can really explain science to the general public it, it always seems to be astronomers so I mean you've got Phil Plait and Carl Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson and you know Pamela Gay from uh, uh, you know the Astronomy Podcast and and uh, and uh, so. In your opinion, like why, why, why are do astronomers always seem to be the uh, sort of the the best scientists for sort of explaining things to the public? 
I can think of two possible reasons. Uh, okay. One of them is because we have cool pictures. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> everybody likes a pretty picture. And everybody – it's amazing. Um, I do some public open house nights at the telescopes on campus. Okay. And when you get you know, from six-year-old kids to 60-year-old grandparents and they see Saturn in the telescope, some of their reactions is just – it's amazing. Like they're just right. like, that's amazing. It has to be a picture that you just stuck in there. Like, no, I can move <laughs> wow. around. You know? Right, yeah. Um, so there's just it, that. It, it's, it's, it's spooky. It's spooky, isn't it? I mean, if you've, if maybe you're used to it, but, you know, when you actually look in a telescope and see Saturn, it's, it's, I, I just find it spooky. That's the best way to describe it. It's just something incredibly eerie that this thing is real, you know, to George Robb's song, Far, you know. It's far, and there it is. And it's just, I don't know, it's scary. But maybe I'm, I'm really afraid of heights, so maybe that's why. But I'm, I'm a little afraid of heights, but you know, I'm not afraid of how far away Saturn is. <laughs> <laughs> so, sorry, sorry, I interrupted you. So, so That's okay. Uh, so I guess that would be a reason 1B. Uh, you know, okay. It has that coolness factor. But uh, I think the other reason is possibly that if you were to ask a room full of astronomers when mm-hmm. they got interested in astronomy and when they you know, not necessarily knew that they wanted to be an astronomer but just sort of developed it as, if nothing else, a lifelong hobby, a lot of them will say when they were like five or six and they first looked up at the sky, like if you were to read admissions essays to graduate school, they all okay. start out with that. Well, I first got interested in astronomy when I was five and my daddy right. bought me my first telescope or that kind okay. of thing. And so astronomers in general have had this love of astronomy for a very long time and they like to you know, share that as opposed to you know, someone who's a businessman. You know, I, okay. I doubt that if you were to ask a room full of businessmen or women or people, right. how long have you been interested in doing this? They're not going to say since they were five. Right. So. Well, you know, the other thing is, I mean, maybe you bring up a good point. Like, do all astronomers or do most astronomers have to sort of, uh, you know, uh, do the you know the sort of the public outreach stuff? Do they sort of in their you know their their yeah, student phase? <laughs> okay, all right. Okay. There are some but, faculty who are uh, very obvious that they don't do the public outreach stuff and don't okay. understand the public outreach. But you don't you don't largely find say like chemists you know uh, ever having to do that right? <laughs> Whereas uh, like yeah, so so maybe uh, you know uh, astronomers you, you know have to you know they they may. F- do the public outreach stuff in university and sort of, you know, find they've got a knack for it. And then, you know, they can kind of go that route. Whereas you can see, like like chemists, right? You don't get many, you know, chemists that not a lot of people want to talk to chemists. Like, tell me about, tell me about carbon. Yeah. Well, (laughs) the other thing about that is that um, most astronomers get paid from federal grants. I would think that most chemists find, industry money. And so we have to keep the taxpayers happy and oh, interested. That's true. That's true. You know, we, we, it's always a struggle to get graduate students to sign up for the public open houses, but you know, the line is you're talking to you know, the taxpayers. Right, the yes. You're talking to people who pay your salary. 
Well, let, let's hope uh, you know in in, in future your 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 name's going to be up there with uh, well you know Sagan and Neil deGrasse Tyson because I I, re- I really find your uh, your your blog just just you know an incredible read. But enough gushing. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, boosting my ego here, and it doesn't really need any more boosting. <laughs> Yeah, uh, onto the topic at hand. So, uh, uh, on conspiracy skeptic unplugged, and I kind of hate this name. Maybe I should change it. Call, uh, conspiracy skeptic, um, you know, mumbled or something. But uh, conspiracy skeptic unplugged. Uh, your 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 job as uh, as guest is to uh, come up with your favorite conspiracy, and then you know sort of research it. And then come on and talk about it. So, uh, what what is uh, what, what's your favorite conspiracy? Okay, um, one of my favorite astronomy conspiracies is uh, the Planet X and twenty twelve quote unquote conspiracy. It, it's a relatively timely one because you know it, it comes to fruition supposedly in just a few years, and it also has a lot of different facets. And uh, when I listen to some of the claims that are made through 2012 or for 2012, it's sort of just like the creationists. They're just fantastical. Uh, they're demonstrably wrong, or some of them just defy any common sense whatsoever. Okay. 2012, where is this? So we're talking the year 2012. So yes. the world's going to end or something terrible is going to happen in 2012. And where, where does this come from, 2012? What's the, what's the origin? I, I'm pretty sure the date 2012 comes from the interpretation of the ancient Mayan calendar, which um, supposedly ends in 2012, uh, actually December 21st, 2012. Which is that a Monday? Is that a Monday? Actually, I think it might be. Uh, yeah. It, it yeah. has a one in seven chance. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the problem with that is the, the, the Mayan calendar doesn't actually end. It just starts over again. Like, you know, the calendar we use ends okay. every December 31st. It just starts over again. Right. And so, you know, it's just sort of attaching New Age woo to right. uh, something that is ancient and so therefore cool and they knew more than we did. I, I've heard it described. It's like the, uh, you know, it's like we're, you're car's odometer when it just sort of rolls over you know that that's all it is just sort of your odometer is rolling over and starting at one again you know uh the world doesn't end when your odometer you know rolls over like nine 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 and then becomes zero again yeah or the clock doesn't suddenly explode when it goes past eleven fifty nine fifty nine. exactly well Almost. Some of the, yeah, some of the clocks iPhone, but that's beside the point. Um, so uh, I've also read too something about um, the you know like like because you know, they're saying you know oh you know it's it's if it's, it's bad things are going to happen, but but in I don't know if you you ever came across this, but in like Mayan culture, like you know when you know when one of the calendars sort of resets itself, this is this wasn't a a bad thing. This was kind of like a time of celebration or something, because it's just it's it's sort of you know it's like a you're like you're really like your odometer and you know you know it, you know it ticks up to nine and then the next digit advances to one and then the other one's back you know at zero and then that ticks up to nine and the next one becomes a one at zero. So and so the Mayan calendar was was is kind of like that that yeah. these cycles you know it would sort of when that reached you know its maximum then the next one ticked up one or whatever. Did they have ones in Mayan numbering system? Um, I think so. 
Okay. I think they had one. It, sometimes they didn't quite have zero, I think. But yeah, the, the Mayan calendar system is, is kind of kooky. Yeah, that, that might be a whole different podcast. I, I've, I mean, I've read about the Mayan – I think you even tried to explain it too on your own, your own blog. And, and, yeah, yeah. The and, second post that I did on Planet X in 2012 is a primer on the Mayan calendar. and It's, it's yeah. a long post, but it's just kind of like, all right, this is this, this is this, this is this, this is this, just sort of getting through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit. Uh, it, it's it. You can read it, you know, a, a bill, unless you maybe if you're a programmer and you're a programmer and you're used to you know, uh, sort of numbering systems that go above ten, you know, like you know yes. hex or something like that. But for someone who's just firmly rooted in you know the in the you know the the decimal system, it's just like what? Right. It, it's mixed up with base twenty, base eighteen, base thirteen. It, it's it's kooky. Right. So, 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 so culturally, you, you uh, you've not encountered anything where where the Mayans sort of have ever written anything down where they believe that you know when you know when the calendar runs out of digits, then it this is this is necessarily a bad thing. The Mayans have associated this with anything bad. Uh, the the actual Mayan scholars that I've heard and seen and read about, um, and I actually tried to interview one, but I think I sent him too many questions. <laughs> Um, they all say, you know, absolutely nothing. But there's one guy who uh, we may talk about later on, okay. uh, Brent Miller, who runs the Horizon Project, who claims that the Mayans said that you know, when 2012 rolls around or when they're at the end of their long count calendar rolls right. around, that the skies will open and souls will be harvested. <laughs> Which, which sounds kind of cool. Yeah. But yeah. Have, have you have you seen that trailer for the 2012 movie? I think I saw the pre-trailer. Like I saw the wall of yeah. water washing over the layers, but I haven't seen anything else. It, uh, you know, however much I sort of hate this 2012 woo crap, the, it was a pretty cool trailer, though. I thought because you, you don't really know what it's about and if you're just at the movie theater and it's like the guys you know ringing a bell and then you know and these obviously the top of the himalayas and then you know here comes this wall of water and you're like oh wow and then they sort of flash 2012 and you're like uh oh yeah make it any make it 2013 or something please just don't now i'm really disappointed you've sort of tied it into the whole 2012 who who Who's doing that movie? I think the guy, the guy who did ID Four Independence Day, isn't isn't he directing that movie or something? Um, I'm not entirely sure. I don't know. It's just it's he's never done anything good. So, uh, let's... I thought that movie was actually kind of good. You really you like the uh, whole ID Four thing? I don't know. Wait. Wait, yeah, the Independence Day. Independence Day, yeah, Will, Will Smith and the Space Aliens. And, well, yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it was great special effects. Okay. What, what, I, what I hated about that movie is that sort of came out around the time, and, and this all sort of this all dovetails into what you're doing, is that sort of came out of the time, right around the time when the whole like face on Mars and the uh, – who, who's the guy that does the Enterprise Mission website? Richard C. Hogan. Ah, Richard C. Hogan. You you write a bit about him too on your uh, on your on your blog. Yes. yes you, you you. Yeah, and you wanted me to do him instead of twenty twelve. Yeah, because he's he is he is uh, cool, 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 cool. My yeah, okay. Pure, purely purely my personal opinion. He is cool, cool. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, he has some um, interesting ideas. 
we'll just say that. And uh, where interesting is in quotes and could have other meanings. Yeah, maybe I'll uh, like to have you back on to talk about that. But uh, we should not stray too much from the 2012 topic. All right. So, uh, so, so, so. So the Mayans, and I guess these Mayan scholars you're emailing, they're probably getting a lot of email too, right? <laughs> you know. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Although you know, I just sort of did a Google search, Mayan uh, anthropo- cultural anthropologist. Okay. Yeah. Chose some red emails. I'm sure these poor guys are like getting emails that are, and they're, you know, they're e- they, they started off polite, you know, emailing people back, and no, there's nothing to worry about, and then, you know, and then the emails would come back increasingly angry and frustrated and death threats, and you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, that's why I started out by saying, you know, I'm writing against all of that craziness. Right. I'm just looking for you know someone who actually knows the cultural aspect because you know I can answer the astronomy stuff but I don't know anything about Mayan culture except you know what's shown on TV and I don't even have a TV so <laughs> wow all right so so but, but in general the the Mayans themselves nothing in their culture unless you sort of like you know look at it at a, a certain angle with you know both eyes squinting really tight, you know, no, nothing, nothing really sort of says, oh yeah, the Mayans, of course, totally believe this, that, you know, that the, when the long count is finished, it's, it's, you know, it's game over. Well, it, to be a good skeptic, I will say to my knowledge, okay. that is correct. Okay. That the Mayans do not think anything of that. But this is, of course, not stopped the uh, the conspiracy theorists. And, of course not. Right. When has truth stopped the conspiracy yeah, theorists? Yeah. So uh, and and so basically, all of astronomy is kind of keeping uh, the secret. What's what's the secret? There there, there are many secrets about what's going to happen. Oh, 20, of course, there are secrets. Twenty twelve. I mean, you've heard of big pharma, big oil, and big government, right? right? It's big astronomy. Well, have you heard of big astronomy? Uh, well, just just in relation to the uh, face on Mars stuff, you know, you're, I mean, which you are obviously totally part of. I mean, I've never seen, well, I've never seen this Subaru you drive. Right. So you know, because you haven't heard of big astronomy, it just shows that we're one of the best kept conspiracies uh, out there. Uh, of course, yes, very good, yeah. yes. So you, you, you know, your silence is. Just proof of your power, right? Right, right. Oh. Of course, if we were loud, that would also be proof that <laughs> we were a big conspiracy. Wow. So, so what? What are, what are what, you people in astronomy? What's what? What's the secret? What's what's going to d- kill us all that you're not telling us? According to the conspiracy theorists. Well, there are various things that are going to kill us all. Uh, although it all depends on. Who you listen to? Which, which what what book you buy in the uh, New Age section? Right, right. Okay. Or what website you listen to, or what you know episode of Coast to Coast AM you listen. Oh, to. Oh, right, yes. <laughs> yeah, and and I do listen to Coast to Coast AM. That's where I get a lot of ideas for my vlog. Um, yeah, so there are a few main aspects, main fear mongering aspects okay. towards uh, twenty twelve. Okay, and the main one really has to do with this one of the main aspects of the conspiracy of yeah of what's supposedly going to happen in 2012 is this idea of a pole shift okay but so like the the, nor- the north and south pole like the magnetic poles 
you know. Well, see, they don't even really specify that. Ah, okay, so right. Earth, Earth has two sets of pole. One is the geographic set, so the North geographic pole and South geographic pole. And because uh, I guess you and I are both from the North American continent, we'll just sort of stick with the North pole okay. for the sake of this argument. So we have the North geographic pole and we have the North magnetic pole. And so the people don't really specify which pole they're talking about. But when you look at their claims, you can generally get the idea that they're talking about a geographic pole shift. So, so, where, so, where, so the pole, where the Earth actually is, so its axis, what it spins on. Right. Okay. So not where you put your compass and where the needle points. That's not the actual right. North Pole. Well, and that would be especially humorous because if they were talking about a magnetic pole shift, because the magnetic pole, it's shifting. Right. Like, it moves, and it you know it moves by a couple degrees over the course right. of a century okay. or so. And it, it has the, it has actually reversed in in history. Right. I mean, it maybe takes a long, long, long time. It doesn't sort of just do it in like a year. Right. Um, I th- well, let's say this is really pushing it. I think the last estimate I read is that it takes somewhere on the order of probably about a century to flip, but. In that time, it's not like it suddenly shuts off one day, does some rearranging over the course of a century, and then comes back on a century later. It just sort of – it weakens over various parts of the Earth, and then it sort of – you get more south magnetic pole um, field lines over where the north magnetic pole used to be okay. versus – vice versa. And then sort of you get this general flip. Okay. It's not a very well-understood process, um, and it also used to happen much more frequently than it has happened lately. You know, if I were to invoke uh, sort of a gambler's fallacy, then we are due for a magnetic pole flip any time. And if it happens to happen in 2012, it really, you know, would be coincidental, but (laughs) (laughs) I don't think it really has anything to do with anything special in 2012. So so then the the conspiracy theorists are talking like the whole Earth itself just sort of flips 180 degrees. Is that Well, not necessarily 180 degrees. They say it's impossible to actually predict how much it will shift. Um, but yeah, they are talking about like you know, the north geographic pole, the spin axis oh. is going to move from say where it is now to uh, say England, for example, or Easter Island. <laughs> All right. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it's it's so crazy <laughs> because there's just really no mechanism to do it over the time periods that they're talking about. Um, like the main one is, that I know of is uh, Brent Miller, as I mentioned before, out of the Horizon Project. And he says that there are you – know, the basic scenario that he paints is that suddenly – like literally suddenly this will happen over the course of just a few days that the Earth's spin axis will move from where it is now and could move by up to, you know, 30 degrees or so. So where, uh, I don't know, what's the latitude of where you are? You got me. Uh, 5440 or fight. That's all I know. (laughs) Okay. That's close. You could be close to the next geographic North Pole, according to them. Oh, no. That'll make it colder, won't it? Will that make it colder? Oh, my God. It got up to 63 degrees here in Boulder. (laughs) I don't want any more snow. (laughs) My my troubles aside. (sighs) 
Okay. Yeah, well, you know, according to him, it will have more trouble than just more snow in Canada. So what will happen if, like, if that happens? I mean, well... Well, so he claims that uh, the Earth's continents are kept afloat because the Earth is spinning, which on its face may seem to make sense because, you know, if you sort of spin yourself around really quick before you get dizzy and puke, right. you're going to feel this outward force on your arms. Right. It's like you could spin a bucket of water over your head, right? That, that, right, right, right. You can keep the, bu- the water in the bucket even though the bucket's completely upside down. Right, yes. Okay. So to and, him, that's what's, to him, that's what's sort of keeping the continents above water, you're saying. Right, okay. right. And he points to evidence of this um, because – the Earth's uh, diameter okay. is not the same everywhere. Right. So the Earth's uh, polar radius is about uh, 22 kilometers shorter than its equatorial radius. So Earth has a big belly. Right. It bulges. Earth kind of bulges at the equator, right? Right, right. Okay. By about uh, 22 kilometers, 21 kilometers or so. Um, and so he claims that this is proof that that's what keeps continents afloat. And so if we have this geographic pole shift, then that centrifugal force is no longer going to be in place. And the continents, you know, so Earth is bulging by about 20-ish kilometers or so. Oh, right. That's much bigger than the highest mountains. Ah, uh, hence the uh, and so trailer. so continents will right. sink. Oh, no. Yeah, and all the coastal population will be estimated. He estimates that <laughs> 2 billion people will die within 24 hours <laughs> and that um, about half, you know, another 2 billion people are going to die over the next few days or months okay. because all of our infrastructure will be down and we will completely forget, of course, how to do anything. Like he <laughs> – I know that may seem ridiculous on its face, but so he actually claims as evidence Atlantis. Right, so he claims as evidence for this. The lost city or continent of Atlantis. Uh, he basically uses an argument from uh, an argument ad populum. I don't speak Latin, so I forgive okay. my pronunciation. Uh, he says that pretty much every culture around the world has this legend of okay. a uh, of an advanced civilization that died out because okay. some great calamity that happened really, really fast. Right and. What could possibly destroy a technologically advanced civilization? Well, obviously, a pole shift could. All right. And uh, so, yeah, he says that Atlantis is real, and basically what happened to – we are, or at least not you, uh, we, the United States, okay. are the modern-day Atlantis. Uh-huh. And we will sink into the ocean. And, of course, when this advanced civilization – died out, there were still a few people left that sort of went around the world and populated it again. Fact or history became legend, but that's why everyone around the world built pyramids around the same time, according to him. Right, right, okay. really true, but that's a different issue. Facts, again, never really dissuaded the uh, conspiracy theorists. Right, right. <laughs> so he says that the same thing would happen to us. So when the pole shift happens, according to him, and you know a third of the world's population is decimated because they're sunk underwater, and the, a third is going to die out because of lack of medical care, lack of food, lack of you know other stuff like that. Right. 
the rest of the population is going to forget everything, and they're right. not going to be able to farm for themselves. It's going to take, according to him, about a thousand years or more in order to get back to the level that we are now. And there won't be any evidence of the past civilization because it'll all be underwater. Okay, so it doesn't even make sense from a logical standpoint because we have computers, and I would think that you know even though my CPU might degrade if it's underwater. I mean, I have a Mac Pro. It's I think it's an aluminum shell, and that should stay pretty solid over the course of a thousand years. And I would think that we would be able to find it right. underwater in a thousand years, or a plane. I think we would find wreckage of you know tens of thousands of airplanes underwater right. in a thousand years. And yeah, so it's not long. Idea that there won't be any evidence of us other than legend is absurd. Not to mention the fact that Earth's continents don't uh, – Stay afloat because okay. of centrifugal force. All right. So, what what what, what actually keeps the continents from from sinking? Well, they're buoyant. I mean, the continents, uh, the the density of uh, granitic crust is actually okay. less than the density of oceanic crust. Okay. And so that's why when you have a uh, an ocean floor meeting a continent. The okay. ocean floor goes under the continent, okay. um, even though so the density difference is only about 0.7 grams per cubic centimeter. Okay. Is that sub- subduction? Right. So that would be a subduction zone. There's one you know, just right around uh, well, the eastern United States is a subduction okay. zone. Japan okay. is a subduction zone on one side. And so that's why the continents sort of rise above the uh, – the ocean floor, but also the continents have a thick root. I mean, okay. if you think of it sort of like, um, if you were to take, uh, let's see, like a big um, pine wood ball. So it's lighter than water. Yeah, we'll, we'll say it is for this thought experiment. Okay. Right, yep. <laughs> or say a balsa wood ball. Say you take a balsa wood ball and you put it into um, a cup of water. The ball, most of it is going to stay above the water, but some of it is going to sink down into the water. It's effectively displacing its weight. And that's sort of the same thing that happens with the continents. The continents have this root that goes deeper down into um, the earth than the oceanic crust does. And so it's just sort of – you know, it all works out. Like it doesn't stay afloat because of centrifugal force. It's just more buoyant and it has this – route that is up to um, 70 kilometers thick. In fact, uh, the Canadian Shield is one of the thickest parts of the crust. So right. if nothing else, you're going to stay afloat, even if you become the new <laughs> Yeah. Well, okay. I'll, well, the, uh, I'll, I'll, digging my car out of a snowbank every morning, I guess, doesn't sound so bad compared to like sinking. So Yeah, yeah. You'll be better than uh, us. Although I'm in Boulder, and, you know, as I'm sort of in the middle of the continent, so I think I'm pretty good too. We'll survive, but those suckers in New York. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, another thing is that uh, the Earth is – so underneath the crust, there's another layer that we call plastic, uh, a plastic-like layer. I I don't really like that term because when I think of a plastic layer, I think of like a styrofoam bottle or or cup or something. Right. Uh, They say plastic because – it has um, – it's sort of like molten lava. 
effectively because you know, you're getting down to a pretty hot region. Um, right. But it, we call it plastic because it's viscous and it can move. And that's sort of what the continents are, quote-unquote, floating on. Not really floating on. They, just, they do sort of mix, up, mix with it a little bit, but they sort of rest on this layer, and okay. uh, that's called the asthenosphere. Um, okay. Is that what causes the was it the plate tectonics? Is that what you know? Right. So it's just heat that you know, and the continents can just sort of they move around on this athenosphere. We get into another idea for the pole shift. <laughs> um, instead of Brent Miller's idea that the continents float on this uh, because of centrifugal force, we have um, although we lack a mechanism in this one, it's the idea that. Just like plate tectonics causes the, the continental plates to sort of move around very slowly over right. billions of years. Right. Geologic time. Geologic time. Yeah, that's a good term. <laughs> the, uh, this other idea for 2012 and the pole shift is that instead, all of the continents, all of the plates are okay. going to suddenly move as one and just sort of rotate <laughs> by you know, 20 degrees or so. There's something. So, is- wait, wait, wait. As a wait, wait, as a Canadian, I'm liking this maybe. So you're saying, it, so Canada will kind of move to the south, like rotate to the south. I might rotate north. <laughs> well, that's not so good then. All right. No, no, no. And again, they say we can't predict where it will move. So okay. th- this is yeah, basically all the plates instead of their uh, relatively random motions in relation to each other, they'll just sort of start to act as one, and over the course of a few days suddenly shift by a few right. thousand kilometers or so. And you, you'll notice that I'm being nice. Uh, I'm using kilometers for you instead of... Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Canadians are kind of... We can we can work in either, but just because... It, and we, we're... We, we've been metric for, I don't know how many decades now, but anybody over the age of uh, probably... Maybe over the age of... 25 or 30 is probably still also firmly rooted. What we call imperial, but you call, you know, you know just normal measurements or something. Yeah, so, so, imperial or American. Yeah, American. Yeah, so like feet, pounds, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah so. crazy units where 8 <laughs> times 2 times 16 equals something. <laughs> That's one unit. I don't know. If you're cooking, it's yeah. insane. I can yeah I can deal with both like I me- I measure my height in feet and inches but then I'm I, I measure you know distance to uh, my hometown in kilometers so it makes no sense whatsoever but yeah, you know I, I like measuring weight in kilograms because it it makes me feel less <laughs> like I weigh less no, I, yeah I, I measure I we measure weight or we yeah or, like I buy my meat in kilograms but I I you know I, I lie about my weight in pounds so. Uh, <laughs> Oh. All right. So, all right. So, so the right, what would now what would cause all these continents to all sort of move as one? You know, like gazelle or something. There are two different ideas, at least that I, I've read about and that I know of. Um, one of them is this supposed galactic alignment, ah. which sounds very mystical and mysterious. So it shouldn't be a surprise that it's been. Uh, Picked up by the New Age crowd. I'm 42, and I remember back in high school, you know, fellow students wigging out that 
supposedly, you know, all the planets were going to be aligned and this was going to cause mass devastation and earthquakes. And, and, uh, that was maybe, that was about 19, maybe 1983, 1984. I remember in grade 12 math, a student sort of, Oh my God, we're all going to die <laughs> you know, because the so planetary alignment but right so it, that that it sounds like an idea that has been recycled but you know oh, yeah. it's no longer a planetary alignment it's now it's this it's, is a galactic but, alignment so it's on a bigger scale. cool so you know it right, has all to the, be more important right because there's all that all that stuff out there must you know have a lot of you know gravity effect on us right you'd think so right because there's so much yeah. stuff out there <laughs> so yeah, I have to give a little bit of background on it before I actually say why it's uh, – or what the claim actually is so that you can understand why it's just so wrong. Yeah, sure. All right. So, so some background on the idea is that um, the sun moves through the Milky Way galaxy. And um, you know, I always – whenever I think of the sun moving through the galaxy, I just – I think of the Monty Python song. Uh, you know, we – the sun and you know moves around every 250 million years, something like that. Right. And it does. The sun takes about 250-ish million years to go around the galaxy. You know, it's give or take a few 10 million years. We are um, about 30,000 light years from the center of the galaxy. Okay. If you call it a center, because it's actually shaped like a bar, but that's a different issue. Uh, so we orbit around the center, and in addition to just orbiting around the center in a plane, if you think about it like in a sheet of paper, you know, we're in two dimensions, we do oscillate. So we go back and forth above and below the galactic okay. plane as we go – as we orbit around the galaxy. And the issue is that you know, we really are dealing with astronomical timescales, and I mean that as big timescales. Okay. It takes – um, something on the order of a few tens of millions of years for us to oscillate one complete cycle up to down to up again. And um, I got a lot of feedback on this on my blog. People were confused about this and wanting uh, sources, so I finally found some sources. We are actually right now above, quote-unquote above, because there is no up in space. We are above the plane of the galaxy by about um, – what is it? About 10,000 parsecs, which is about 30,000 light years. 30,000 light years. Yeah, the, the, exactly. the, the whole galaxy, what's the diameter of the whole galaxy? About About 100,000 light years. 100,000 light years. So basically uh, today, yesterday, and tomorrow, we are not in the center of the galaxy. We are not in the midplane, but we're about 35 to 70 light years above okay. the midplane of the galaxy. So we're, we're a ways away from it, and we're also still traveling above it. We're still traveling away from the plane of the galaxy at a rate of about 7 to 8 kilometers per second. So the claim that the sun is going to physically pass through the center of the galactic plane in just three years… Okay. So it's going it's it's to come down to that sheet of paper. Right. It, it's insane. The sun, the solar system would have to travel faster than the speed of light <laughs> by several times in order to get there in time for this galactic alignment. And, and imagining for a moment it does, you know, um, if it would does, that, would, would that be? I mean, uh, 
So we're we're on that sheet of paper, and and all of that stuff has us in their sights. Yeah, but they still do have the us in their sights. I mean, okay. so this is the idea advocated by Brunt Miller. The sun is going to pass through the galactic plane, which okay. he says the Mayans call the Dark Rift. Makes it sound really spooky. Very Star Trekky. Yeah, very Star Trekky. Very scary. Very you know. We need to get Troy out there to tell us you know, what the aliens are going to do. Right. Um, even though she, yeah, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, it, we're not going to oh, yeah. plow through the plane of the, the galaxy. Right, right. Well, so, so his idea is that this Mayan knowledge of the dark rift that we okay. are not going to pass through <laughs> is what it is, is that the Milky Way has a central black hole. Right, which yeah. I think most people these days are familiar with. Yeah. Um, not intimately familiar with, but you know, hopefully they, not. They know of it. <laughs> so the idea that Brent Miller and his Horizon Project folks have is that the Milky the, the Way. Na- the, the name is becoming clear to me now. Horizon Project. Yeah. Is that this black hole in the Milky okay. Way's center okay. throws off gravity waves? Right. And so this is actually you know, probably true. The black holes, as they move through space, sort of ripple it as they okay. go, and okay. they throw off waves of gravity waves. Now, he's saying that these gravity waves are basically they're, – they're gigantic, and they concentrate dark material like asteroids okay. and comets in the plane of the galaxy. So no, it's not just that we're going to hit all of that galactic crap when we okay. pass through the plane. But also, we're going to pass through this dark rift gravity wave, and that's going to cause the pole shift somehow. All right. <laughs> but but these these gravity waves. I mean, these gravity waves are you know we we've never detected them, and and we're, we've got to have incredibly. Haven't we put up a satellite, or we're going to put up a satellite with a couple lasers? That yeah, that one's you know, LIGO. They, they have right. interesting acronyms. But it's so – I mean these gravity waves are so, so faint that we need this incredibly high-precision equipment that we – I mean we've all only recently been able to engineer to detect them, correct? Exactly, and that should tell you something about what a gravity wave can do to Earth. Right. Not, yeah, the, the dick, fact not, that all, not, not much. Dick all. Right. Dick all. <laughs> the fact that we need these incredibly sensitive instruments that can right. detect – Basically, movement on the size of an atomic nucleus, right. which is much, 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 much smaller than a human hair, obviously, <laughs> it should tell you that if the Earth were to pass, quote-unquote, through this gravity wave that the Milky Way's black hole is throwing off, that it would you know, maybe distort you by a small fraction of the okay. size of an atom. Uh-oh. Or, or that's not a no. That's that's nothing. Right. That that's nothing. I mean, the fact that your body is mostly empty space anyway. You know, well, you, might, you well, might be slightly shorter when you measure yourself next time, but you know, half a second later, you'll you'll be the right height. All right. Will it do anything to my Intel chips math coprocessor? Nope. No, not even that. All right. So, nope. so spreadsheets are safe. Yeah. Although you should always back up. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Control S, get that control save thing going, you know. Too. Yeah. Don't yeah. Don't do a lot of work, and you know, half hour later, 
you know, you have a power failure. Especially You've never saved it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So, so the uh, all right. So so uh, the pole, the Earth's not going to flip over. We're not going to we're not going to have this dark matter toilet backing up because of the gravity waves. But there, there was another one, the planet, the planet, planet X, that might some some companion planet might smack into us or something. Is this is this the other yeah, other hypothesis? Another idea, but but there's another one still with okay. the galactic alignment. They really get you on the galactic alignment. There's so many <laughs> different ideas. All right, so, all right. So what we were just talking about is a physical galactic alignment. The next one is an apparent galactic alignment. So this is where, say, you know, you're looking towards a bright light. Okay. This is not the bright light that happens, uh, you know, after a pole shift in 2012. Okay. Say you're looking towards a light bulb. All right. And you take your finger and you move it in front of the light bulb. Right. It's not actually in front of the light bulb in any reference frame other than the reference frame of your eyes. And that's what an apparent alignment is. This other claim of a galactic alignment is that the sun, on the winter solstice of 2012, is going to align perfectly with the center of the Milky Way galaxy. And the answer to this is that it's just wrong. Besides having absolutely nothing to do with Anything that could physically affect us because it's just an apparent alignment. It's okay. the same thing as you know one of the reasons why astrology is just demonstrably ha- lacks any mechanism uh, because it's just an apparent alignment and has nothing to do with anything that's physical. Is that the sun isn't going to align with the center of the galaxy? It it doesn't go anywhere near the center of the galaxy. Now it does align with the uh, plane of the galaxy. So when I was saying before that it doesn't align with the center of the galaxy, I'm thinking of both the horizontal and the vertical axis, that point. But it does align with the horizontal axis almost perfectly. Oh, really? On December 21st, 2012. However, it's not really on it. In fact, it was perfectly on it, believe it or not, December 21st, 1998. Now I, nothing, I'm young. Nothing bad happened. I don't remember anything bad happened. Um, do you? I wasn't uh, really paying attention to the news, but I think I would have remembered if the world ended. What was, what was that date again? December twenty first, nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Uh, that would be well. Nineteen ninety eight is the only year ever I've got all my Christmas shopping done by December one. But that's not a bad thing necessarily. That's, that's a good thing. thing. Yeah, so 98 was rocking for me. So, Yeah, so that should tell you that really these apparent alignments don't do anything, especially because while the sun aligned with the center of the galaxy on the winter solstice in 1998, and it will come close in 2012, okay. it also aligns perfectly with the center of the galaxy twice every year. Oh, okay. Because the plane, the the uh, path of the sun through the sky passes through the center of the galaxy twice every year. Right. It just right. so happens that it may line up with the summer solstice. It you know in uh, about thirteen thousand years, it will also line up with the summer solstice, or in about 
seven and a half thousand years, it will line up perfectly with the spring equinox. And huh. I do actually – I have a diagram showing this okay. on the blog that I can send you the, the link to the picture that you can put okay. on your website for the notes for this because, I mean, it's basically you're trying to find the intersection of three coordinate systems of the path of the sun – of the grid that defines where the equinoxes and solstices are, as well as the grid that defines the galactic latitude-longitude system. All right, so that's that's the uh, Earth will not be destroyed by any kind of strange alignments in 2012. Uh, yeah. All right, but coming back to the planet X, this is the most fascinating one. Planet X. So this idea that there's there's a planet out there that's going to do something to us. There's, there's, there's uh, going to smack into us or something like that? I think that most of the people don't think it will actually smack into us because that would be bad. Okay, right? really bad. Right, right. That, that would be you know, a, a game killer <laughs> pretty okay. much. All right. I mean, that would be like you know formation of a moon type. Yeah, event. right. Because that's what they think how the moon was formed, right? Something right. something smacked into like something Mars size kind of smacked right. into us and formed the moon, right? Okay. Yeah, the big splash. Right. So, so Planet X won't smack into us, but it may do something. To, what, what, what could what could Planet X? What do they say Planet X will do to us? Well, one idea is it could cause a pole shift. <laughs> ah, okay. So, like the gravity will just sort of right. swing into an orbit and then kind of turn, flip us over. Right. So this is sort of the same idea, you know, vague hand wave the idea of passing through a galactic rift is uh, that Planet X will somehow cause the poles to you know move or flip or do, do something screwy. So the, the real reason why this is just wrong, they use sort of a false analogy. Like a way to th- – the, the analogy that um, you, you sort of use when you explain to school children how the Earth spins, you say it spins like a top. Okay. Because you know they've all spun tops before, right? Right. And if they're Jewish, they've probably spun dreidels. Dreidels, right? Yep. I made one out of clay once. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry for the bad pun. Sorry, I made a golem out of clay. So, <laughs> oh, that, that, that's good. That's better than my dreidel. <laughs> He'll kick your He'll dreidel's your ass anytime. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so the, the common analogy is that Earth spins like a top. When you think of a top. You have usually a disc or you know, sort of an oblong-type shape that has a stick through it, yeah. and you, you twist the stick, and the top spins. And that's really a, you know, a fairly good analogy because Earth has a spin axis. It's geographic axis. And the, the way that this analogy falls apart is when you use it for a pole shift because the idea of a pole shift, the people just say, well, just – move that stick. You know, you just sort of rotate it. And the problem with the Earth is that there isn't actually a stick. Like, granted, I've never been to the North Pole nor the South Pole, so I can't say for certain that there isn't a big, giant stick there. But Or or an entrance to the hollow Earth where the Nazis are. Oh, that's a different... That's a whole whole different... That's another another show. Yeah, can't... Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't think that there's a giant stick there, and so the, that's why this breaks down is because there is nothing to pull on. So you can you can imagine that 
um, you know, with the top, you can just easily move the stick and you, you've rotated the top. But with right. Earth, there's just nothing to grab onto. Right. I mean, to use Star Trek, you would need a tractor beam. Uh-huh. You would need something like a tractor beam that is focused on okay. a particular part of Earth that it can pull in order to shift it. But a normal planet can't do that. So I guess this is gets to your uh, another thing how the inverse or reverse vampires and the Trekkies are going to destroy uh, everything. Yes. What, what, but the um, what planet is it? Nep- Neptune. What? What? A, is it ne- does it Neptune? Doesn't it sort of? Isn't it's got a really really tilted like rotates on its side or something? Uranus. Oh, U- Uranus. Okay. Uranus. <laughs> In Canada, we say Uranus. <laughs> So what what happened to Uranus? Like, what made it rotate? How does it rotate exactly? Uranus. Uh, well, it, it rotate. It, it suffered a pole shift. <laughs> okay, all right. It suffered a real pole shift. That's okay. uh, so Uranus. Basically, um, the spin axis is instead of pointing up and down. Okay. You know, I hate to say up and down, and I'm gesturing sure. with my hands that you can't see. Instead of the axis of Uranus pointing up and down, it okay. basically points side to side. And so it still rotates, and its axis points at the exact same location relative to the stars, so that as it orbits around the sun, its axis is sometimes pointed at the sun, sometimes it's pointed uh, parallel to the sun, sometimes it's pointed you know, away from the sun. But it's okay. always pointed at the same spot in the sky, the stars. And so it basically – its seasons last uh, you know, about 22 years where the North Pole just has 24 hours of daylight sometimes. Right. Or the South Pole has 24 hours of daylight or 24 hours of night, vice versa. And uh, it's e- – e- uh, like I guess if you were just north of the equator, you would have 24 hours of day or just south of the equator, 24 hours of night, and then halfway around its orbit, the entire planet would experience exactly half the time in day and half the time in night switches. So, so, Ur- so Uranus did suffer a pole shift, and it's thought that it just got you know a big splash. It got smacked with a very large planet-sized object early on in the solar system system. So, but nothing like a big body just sort of passed by it, and it, its gravity just sort of tilted it over, anything like that. Right. Again, there's really no way that a just transient passing object could uh, could do that. You, you'd need like a tractor beam. You'd need a focused force to apply that torque. All right. Now, what if there are space aliens on this planet X? Isn't that, isn't that part of the conspiracy that there's some... Uh, it ad- depends on who you read. <laughs> All right. Some, some advanced race of people exist on planet X or something. But right. they, they've got a weird name, like the Nimrod. Anunnaki. The Anunnaki. Yes, yeah, spelled A-N-U-N-N-A-K-I. That sounds a lot like it was from some science fiction novel I read. Uh I can't even remember the name of the guy. Sort of starts off, he's delivering pizza or something. Oh, anyway, pizza's good. All right, so it it it, 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 it sounds kind of uh, you know like a Babylonian or something. Sumerian. Sumerian, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So is, is this that- is the idea put forth by uh, Zachariah Sitchin. If you try to look up that name based on how it sounds, you will likely fail. 
Even because Go- Google's really good. I mean, you can punch in really poorly. It took me poorly. five minutes to find it. <laughs> <laughs> Even Google can't Russian. help. And then he okay. grew up in Palestine, and then okay. he worked in Israel. So you know, okay. the name is uh, is weird. It's spelled uh, Z E C H A R I A, and then the last name is S I T C H I N. Zechariah Sitchin. He basically supposedly translated, at least into his own language, he translated, um, and I say his own language because absolutely no Sumerian scholar agrees with his translation. Um, he translated uh, Sumerian tablets that he believed tell the story of an advanced extraterrestrial race called the Anunnaki that live on the planet Nibiru, or Nibiru. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. spelled N-I-B-I-R-U. A lot of uh, constant or vowels in these names. Right, right. So these Anunnaki or Anunnaki on the planet Nibiru, uh, which has a an orbit that lasts thirty six hundred Earth years. So you know that's a fairly short amount of time. So that's you know recorded history effectively. Right. Okay. And he he claims that it actually is recorded in history in the Sumerian tablets. Right. Right. Um. He says that the Anunnaki, on the last or next last close approach to Earth, sent out their little spaceships effectively to uh, colonize Earth and to mine it for resources. So you know, sort of like what we may do on Mars or to asteroids is to mine them for resources. Um, but what he says is that the, the Anunnaki, when they visited, were looking for gold, among other mineral resources. <laughs> So, you know, they came to steal our gold. Like, they sound like and, leprechauns. And our women? Did they come to steal our women, too? Not quite. So he, he actually does get into the whole ancient astronaut idea yeah, where, you know, Earth is sort of like a brothel. You know, that aliens of all creed come to have sweet, sweet monkey love, and that's how the universe, <laughs> or that's how the human race got formed. Ah, they, yes. Uh, yeah, he does say that the Anunnaki genetically engineered as opposed to mated with the human race in order to uh, use us as slave labor, effectively, to mine the precious gold in Africa. You know, gold was only in Africa that they could find. They couldn't find it anywhere else. Right. So, yeah, he he has this whole... You know, if it were science fiction, it would actually be, you know, make an interesting science fiction story, but he actually believes it as real history. Right. Which makes... It's such that I have difficulty uh, reading it for fun. All based on his unique interpretation of Sumerian. Yes. And all I right. want to emphasize that it is a unique interpretation because that's one of the things in science that you have to look at. Is it a consensus opinion as opposed to is this an idea by one lone nut who's getting a lot of press? Right, yeah. You know, when, when I argue with creationists, I always like to, I always like to point out. I'm like, well, because creationists have, very, you know, especially the young Earth creationists, they have very very elaborate stories to account for, you know, all of these things. And it's like it's like, well, that's great. You know, that's a good story. We call it just so story and kind of in, in informal logic. And you know, and and uh, but you know, and and science over here, we've got a we've got a just so story too, you know, you know, evolution, you know, you know, descent with modification and, uh, and, uh, you know, but, but evolution or creationists, you know, they just sort of posit their just so story and then they walk away from the table. Whereas scientists, you know, they, 
they they don't walk away from a just so story. They go, okay, it's it's great story. Well, now how do we determine if it's true? Or you know, especially even like astronomy, you know, Big Bang or steady state. We had two competing just so stories, and and so science had to sort of go, well, which is probably the which is probably reality, which is probably the better you know the better description of reality, steady state or Big Bang, and they have to sort of you know decide between the two. So. So yeah, so so the all the all these sort of uh, you know these 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 2012 guys they seem like right you know they they've got they've got some interesting just so stories that would you know you know great jumping off points for you know science fiction or you know Will Smith movies or something like that but do you know do they do they do any research you know do they do they publish in journals or anything ah. Uh. So that that's the case where we have science by press release, to to quote uh, the SGU uh, podcast. Right. Yes. It, they they really do um, science by talk shows, science by uh, by our DVDs, science by press release, <laughs> as YouTube. to science by yeah. That's a that's more of a Neil Adams his YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> his YouTube videos are actually very very well done, but they're they're crap. <laughs> Neil Adams YouTube videos, yes, love the man. Yeah, so again, it's it's um, Brent Miller. You know, I keep referring to because he's been on Coast to Coast a lot, and I, so I, I remember okay. his stuff. I mean, I listened to that Coast okay. to Coast episode with him three times before I mo- wrote my blog post, which was you know, about six hours of hell. Um, he he really gets to the. Um, he says that science supports everything that he's done. He says that the science is there, that he has quantum physicists who have confirmed his stuff. He says that he has astrophysicists who have confirmed his stuff. But he really doesn't know what a quantum physicist or an astrophysicist does. So these, these, all these scientists who support his view, does, does he ever name them? No. No. Uh, I think he named I think he did name one of them in a Coast to Coast episode, but I can't remember the name offhand. Um the guy he named is also one who believes that the earth is hollow. Okay. All right. So it's kind of like, you know, I, I don't want to resort to the you know, the ad hominem or guilty by association stuff, but still it's just kind of like, you know, you, you have to wonder <laughs> about that guy. Um right. you know, if, if I can quote from him, sure. um Brent Miller said so he was talking about um, independent of calendar systems, like this is what's going to happen in 2012, regardless of what calendar system you want to use. Uh, he says, independent of calendars, the quantum physicists have already confirmed that the center of our galaxy is really a supermassive black hole. Okay. They've confirmed the location of the galactic plane. The astrophysicists have already mapped out the time in which we are going to be crossing the galactic plane. And they estimate it to be within two or three days of when the Mayans said it would happen at the end of 2012. So, I mean, really, this shows that the people who work for him or with him, A, don't know what they're doing. Right. B, don't read the scientific literature. C, don't contribute to the scientific literature. And D, he doesn't know what he's really talking about because – None of that that I just quoted, like the supermassive black hole and stuff, has anything to do with quantum mechanics. You know, a quantum mechanic 
may know about black holes, but they don't do any research with black holes unless they're looking to merge quant, you know, and, uh, quantum mechanics and general relativity into some sort of quantum gravity theory. They okay. do nothing with black holes. Meanwhile, astrophysicists don't do anything about charting the galactic plane. I mean, that's sort of the delineation between astronomy or an astronomer and an astrophysicist. An astronomer okay. sort of looks at the sky, an astrophysicist uses math to understand what's going on with objects. As okay. I said, they, they just they don't contribute at all to the scientific literature because when I was trying to research these claims, I tried to find more information of his claims, and none of it was in the scientific literature. <laughs> and it's, So it's like... You know, if you have all of this information and you claim that the science 100% supports it, then why don't you contribute to the larger right. scientific body of knowledge that's out there instead of selling DVDs for twenty four ninety five? Taking it straight to the public, right? Right. Well, let me ask you this. Okay, you, let's say, let's say you have a very very controversial idea. Let's say like um, what was like like. You know, nemesis—the whole nemesis star idea—that you know, every every thirty-five million years, there's a massive extinction, and they mm -hmm. some people posit, well, maybe there's like a companion star, you know, like a brown dwarf or something that we can't see, but sort of swings in and causes all the Oort cloud comets to smack into Earth or something like that. And, and that's and so actually a variation on the Planet X theory by Andy Lloyd. Okay, so you so you got a very controversial idea, and 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 you are a uh, you know you're a you've you've graduated you've you know you're now a working scientist and you belong to some sort of astronomy society or something like that. What do you think they have annual conferences, right? Mm -hmm. now, now, it's my, okay, so it, it's my understanding that you know as sort of a member of a scientific society, that these are the places where you can bring. You can bring that sort of stuff, you know, and, and and read those kind of papers. You don't have to submit them to journals and get the peer review. You can. This is the place where you can present, you know, your controversial ideas and just put them before the scientific community and and you know and let people take pot shots at it. Is, right. is, is, is that what that's what you would do as a scientist if you if you know you know you know nature is not going to publish. Nature isn't publishing your paper. What what are you what are you going to do? Um, How are you going to get this idea out there? Well, you you would as you just said, you would take it to a science conference. You know, there are probably dozens of astronomy conferences throughout the year, and you know the big ones, the ones that uh, draw the the widest variety of astronomers, would be the AAS, the American Astronomical okay. Society conferences, and there those are held twice a year. The winter meeting is the most populated. Uh, you would just you would just submit um, either a talk or a poster abstract with a very very controversial idea like that. It's likely you would probably get a poster as opposed to a talk, but you would okay. still have a chance to present. Right. Um, you know the same with Richard Hoagland and his stuff, and I say stuff in quotes. Right. Um, he he has the chance, although. At this point, I'm not sure anyone would, would take him seriously enough to actually go to his posters, but okay. he has the opportunity to go to these conferences and to present his research and get critiqued. And that's the right. whole point of this scientific slash peer review process is that you want people – like it's bad if everyone says, oh, good job and walks away. 
you right. want people to pick it apart because that you know it, it's really only when they test your own resolve about your ideas that you can sort of work out all of the kinks in your own mind. Or if right. they point out something that you can't explain, then you say, that's a really good idea. And then you go back and you try to explain it within the context of your theory. And then if you're an honest scientist, right. if it doesn't fit at all, like they have irrefutable evidence that you're wrong, then you either modify your theory so that you can account for it or you abandon it. Right. And yet you don't, you, right. you don't you don't you don't run to uh you know the popular press or Oprah or something and right and and scream scream censorship. Right, right. Or the Discovery right. Institute. Right, yeah, yeah, exactly. You, to yeah, right. Yeah. You go you go back to the you go back to the uh the lab and you try to come up with the better evidence, right? Exactly. Or as um Andy Lloyd does you come up with a theory that can't be tested. <laughs> so he has a variation on the uh, Zachariah Sitchin, Anunnaki, Nibiru oh. stuff. And his idea actually makes a lot of sense, Like, except for the complete lack of any evidence. Right. It could be true. It's a, it's a good just-so story. Right, right. It's a good just so story, be- and you know it might come out because he he is actually a trained chemist, so he does okay. know a little bit about science. The one of the one of the many problems with this idea of an intelligent civilization living on a planet that has a very eccentric orbit that takes okay. it out way beyond Pluto for most right. of its time is that it requires that these aliens are human-like in order to have had a colony here on Earth to mine gold. Okay. Sure, yeah. Humans can't survive. And, you know, we, we would not have evolved on a planet that spends most of its time out in uh, temperatures that are just, you know, right. a few tens of degrees above absolute zero. Pluto or beyond. We're Pluto not or built beyond, for that. Right. Yeah, yeah, we're we, not we, built for that. Right, we're not. And so the Anunnaki couldn't have been. And Andy Lloyd realized this, and so he proposed a modification. What's really the case is that the Anunnaki are on a moon that orbits a brown dwarf star. And this brown dwarf star is the one that has a 3,600-year orbit. And so what a brown dwarf star is is this type of failed star. Like, it doesn't go through nuclear fusion like the sun does. It just sort of creates heat by gravitational contraction, mainly. And okay. it would glow in the infrared because it, it's warm, but not burning hot, effectively. And All so right. it produces this heat source that could actually keep the Anunnaki alive. So, you know, it, it's sort of an, an interesting and clever solution to the problem. The only problem is that we still haven't discovered this. He's how, how, how would you test it? Well, you would look for a very, 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 very bright infrared source because this thing would be um, somewhere around uh, maybe 50 times the size of Jupiter. Jupiter's pretty big. So right, yeah. it would be around 50 times the size of Jupiter-ish, you know, give or take a few factors of 10. And it would be glowing very, very brightly because it would be so hot. Like it would be glowing much more than these very, very faint Kuiper Belt objects that we're finding. 
like okay. Eris and Sedna and all those things. Right, right. And the issue is that, of course, we haven't discovered it. <laughs> and so <laughs> he says the reason that we haven't is because we don't have a single all-sky infrared survey. Okay. He also says that it's right now in the area of the sky around the constellation of Sagittarius. And Sagittarius is a very difficult constellation to find much in because it's basically right at the center of the Milky Way galaxy. Like the Milky Way, the center passes through Sagittarius. And so it's a very rich star field. And so he's basically proposed this theory that, um, you know, we haven't found it because we can't find it. But everything, yeah, but everything else works with it. And but okay. you know he says that you know it's falsifiable if we just don't find it. The problem, you know, there there are a few problems with it though, and that's that we really should have been able to find it by now, because it okay. would be a massively bright infrared source, and okay. also we should have been able to find it by now because it's true that we don't have a single all sky survey in the infrared. We have probably about half a dozen infrared sky surveys. And if you overlap them, they cover the whole sky. So, yeah. He, he's also a person who basically publishes science by popular press. So, but this, this thing doesn't, you know, when it's, uh, you know, when we're surveying one part of the sky, does it just sort of jump out of the way? I mean, is that, is that what he's saying? Like, no, he, he actually does believe that it has a, a real physical orbit that obeys the laws of physics. He just doesn't realize that we've surveyed the whole sky in infrared. He, he, you know, he, he sort of clings to this. We haven't done it in one all-sky survey, which is true, right. but then he leaves out the part where, yes, we have surveyed the whole sky. And he also is one who doesn't <laughs> say it will happen in 2012. Ah, wh- when, when? He, he doesn't really know. Um, I mean, Sitchin actually is also not a 2012 person. He says it will come back in, uh, I think, 2084. Um, but yeah, Andy Lloyd is um, – he says, you know, if it's that far out, there's no way it's getting here in three or four years, okay. which really gets to the heart of the whole Planet X stuff and why we don't have to worry about Planet X in 2012. And that's that if it were going to get anywhere near us in the next right. four years, we would see it. We would either see it or we would see it perturbing the orbits of other objects, and we know the orbits of these other solar system objects, like the astro- like most of the large asteroids, all of the planets, we know their orbits to such precision that any planet-sized object that was four or five years away from us would show effects on their orbits. Right. We, we couldn't – it would deviate from, from the predicted path. Right. And I, and I address that sort of in my, my initial blog post on this topic, the real and historic Planet X. So it was like, uh, what was it? Uh, Vulcan. Vulcan was uh, Mercury. They, 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 they couldn't explain Mercury, like the orbit of Mercury. So they, they, they posited a planet called Vulcan, right, to sort of explain the, the orbit of Mercury. And that but- name is actually still reserved, just in case. Sweet. We do find another planet closer to the sun than Mercury. All right. This reminds me. Let me let me ask you. If this is possible. All right. You um, you look up in your telescope and you discover a, a new comet. Okay. And uh, 
and uh, just run with me for a bit, okay? <laughs> this is very, very hypothetical. You discover a new comet, all right? And uh, which, which means you get to name it, right? Uh, all right. And, and not only discover a new comet, but you do some math and you discover this comet is going to smack into Mars. Like, this is going to be the light show of the century. So, uh, so what you do is, um, you know, you could name it, uh, you know, you could, you could name it after yourself, right? Mm-hmm. But you think, you know what? If I called that comet the Ford Explorer, you know, Ford Automotive is going to get major, major advertising from this. I mean, this sucker's, you know, it's big, it's evil, it's ter- going to tear up Mars, you know. So, so Ford is going to pay you a lot of money to name the comet the Ford Explorer. Comet the Ford Explorer. Can, can, can you do that? Would you be able to do that? Would the, the astronomy cops let you do that? I'm not really sure. Um, I don't know the specific bylaws of the International Astronomical Union, um, but I, I would doubt that you could name the comet for any commercial purposes. Okay. What if, what if you just legally change your last name to Ford Explorer? Because then they would have to name it after you, right? You know, and then I think you, I think you might, may have an in there. Okay. All right. That was just that was just my idea. I'm like, could you do this? I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, but you also have to be uh, the only person to discover okay. it within 24 hours. Oh, okay. All right. Because anyone who also co-dis- who discovers it within 24 hours of you counts as a co-discoverer, and right. both well, of your names are attached. Yeah. What was the one that smacked into Jupiter? What was that? Shoemaker Levy nine. Schumer, yeah, Shoemaker Levy. So two people. Yeah. I mean, that that's the problem. Anything probably a comet that's you know you can you know you can calculate with precision that's going to smack into mars you're, you're probably not going to be the only one who finds it in the sky right it's probably big enough and impressive enough already that you know that uh, uh, other people are sure to see it but just i mean just hypothetically you've got well, some... it depends on how far out it is like okay. if it's out beyond jupiter then it may be dark enough that it's not an obvious object and so you could easily be the first one to uh and the only one to discover it within 24 hours. Okay, I, I just thought the cool part is that, you know it's going to smack into Mars, so that's why you know that's why. Yeah, that, four, that would be great. Yeah. I mean, that's, if we had a, a, a cometary or asteroidal impact into a solid body other than Earth, uh, right. it would be um, a great, great uh, opportunity for observations. I mean, this is what uh, the whole Deep Impact mission was was uh, supposed to do. Back, I th- oh gee, I think it was 2006, maybe 2005 or six. The Deep Impact mission basically smacked a refrigerator-sized hunk of copper, I think it was, into a comet to observe what would happen. You know, the subsequent cratering process and how much material it would spew out and what the material was like underneath it. I mean, that that would really be a great opportunity. The only thing is that we just don't want it to happen to Earth. Right, yeah, that'd be bad. Okay, all right. Sorry. So, uh, so any, anything else to add about the whole Planet X twenty twelve conspiracy? I, I mean, I think we sort of covered. Like, you know, if you have a controversial idea, you know, that there is a, you know, there is a, uh, there is a forum. You know, you can go to the, uh, you can go to a scientific conference and you know per- present your your information. And if if you're if your uh, if your ideas you know ha- have merit, other scientists are going to go. You know what? I I, I 
I can't shoot holes in this, and you know, and that people are gonna people are gonna pick it up, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, especially if you actually have evidence, as opposed. To, yeah, that's uh, good too, right? Like if, Just yeah, like if we actually see the object out there, then yeah, that would be great. Um, I will add that um, it is entirely possible that there is, um, or are multiple large objects out way beyond Pluto that are larger than Pluto. Possibly, I, I, I'm not sure if I would go this far at this point in time, but possibly as large as um, you know a small moon of, say, uh, the gas giant, so you know, maybe comparable to the size of our moon. Okay. It's possible that that stuff is out there, and it's just that it's so far away and so dim that we can't see it, and that would be, you know, possibly a legitimate Planet X, depending on how you define a planet. But right. it has absolutely nothing to do with 2012, and right. so that's something that I, I do try to make um, uh, make or try to specify on my blog is that you know it is possible that there is this stuff out there, and in all likelihood. There are not all likelihood, but there is a distinct likelihood that it is out there because you know we do keep finding more stuff out there, but it being at all in any way, shape, or form related to Planet X and 2012 doomsday right. claims are completely unfounded as long as it obeys the laws of physics as we understand them. Right. I mean that that's the all, always the catch. Like yes, if you invent this magical planet that can create a tractor beam that will pull <laughs> to cause a pull shift, then sure, it could be invisible now. It could have a cloaking device like in that one early episode of Star Trek Next Generation. And it could, you know, we may not see it until it's right on top of us because of this magical cloaking device. Right. But barring that, there's absolutely nothing to this uh, Planet X 2012 stuff. All right, so we, we, we just have a maybe a goofy disaster movie to look forward to. That's about that's about that's about it for 2012. Yeah, yeah. I'm not even sure if I'd classify it as goofy though. I'd have to see uh, <laughs> see some previews or some more previews because you know the the core was a quote unquote goofy All disaster right. movie, but it it's pretty much hailed as the worst. Movie for science accuracy. Uh, yes. Geology or astronomy. Phil Plate, not not such a fan of that movie, I, I gather. Yeah, yeah. After reading his uh, his review of it, I've decided that I am never ever going to watch that movie unless I get incredibly drunk. And since I don't drink alcohol, that's probably not going to happen. Okay, so I guess I'm gonna we'll finish up and the the, uh, the sort of the final question, uh, an idea I borrowed from the Amateur Scientist podcast. Do, do you listen to the Amateur Scientist podcast? I listened to uh, well the episode where you interviewed the host, okay. and I also listened to the episode um, with the uh, the psychic astrologer. Oh yeah, yeah, she was something, wasn't she? Yes, yes, she was. Yeah. <laughs> she was uh, interesting. Well, interesting is in quotes. Well, Brian Thompson always finishes up his podcast with uh, when he's interviewing somebody. He wants to know if uh, you know who would win in a fight between 
two people like you know who would win in a fight between uh you know the guy who discovered pluto and you know the guy who discovered uh red uh you know the redshift or whatever uh doppler the you know the <sighs> hubble right <laughs> who's the guy who discovered pluto uh clyde tombow yeah that was was that was that is that is that on the graduate test exam or is that on an undergraduate exam um that wouldn't be on either, unless it oh, okay. were an undergraduate exam for non-majors. Okay, so yeah, like who would who would win in a fight between uh, Hubble and that town uh, How do you? Pronounce? I'm not entirely sure on the pronunciation. It, I, I call I say it as a uh, Tombow. All right, Doctor T. Doctor T. Yeah, Doctor T works. All right. So my my, my question is, uh, um, what is your favorite small kitchen appliance with with the uh, with the with the understanding that the the bread maker is the only correct answer, but uh, I, I can be I can be convinced otherwise. So what's 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 your what's your favorite uh, what's your favorite small kitchen appliance? How, how small is small? Well, it doesn't matter. I mean, it can be you know electric can opener. It can be uh, you know like uh, electric lemon slicer, lemon zester, whatever. <laughs> um, I would probably have to say my Whopper chopper. What, what what is a whopper chopper? At least that's what my mom calls it. Okay. Um, it, it's actually I, I believe it's um, the same item that uh, your guest last time was advocating. Um, oh, like the slap chop. Yeah, he called it a slap chop, and I'd never heard that that term. But then uh, he was describing it, and it sounded like the same, same thing. I mean, it's basically like it, it's. This circular container, effectively, that okay. has clear plastic, and you place it over like 15 heads of garlic. Ah, and okay. then it has a press that you just push down, and it chops it, and you just do it in rapid succession. And I guess that's why my mom calls it a whopper chopper. And it just dices it up. It's great. I hate yeah. slicing garlic. I know, yeah. That's that's my quest to find the ultimate, yeah, garlic uh, garlic press. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this podcast might be able to get a sponsor now. I should go to the, I should go to the slap chop people and go, look, you know, I'm getting endorsements from some of the smartest people in the world. So, <laughs> well, I guess my my second choice would be the uh, my KitchenAid uh, uh, thing. What's the the, uh, <laughs> the automatic mixer? Automatic mixer, uh, like a, a hand mixer, or a... well, instead of a hand mixer, it's a, a stand mixer. There we go. Stand oh, okay. That's like what you what your mother would use to make cake, like cake batter with the two little, you know, the two little mixing things, and she'd pull out and let you lick those. That that yeah, kind of mixer. Well, unless they had raw eggs, she she wouldn't let me lick those. Oh yeah, unless my mom. Not, when she wasn't looking. My mom would let me lick the raw eggs. She didn't care. You know, she could have another kid. That was that's all, that's what she would say all the time. You know, my brother would be. Uh, in my, well, I lived in Montreal, and the, you know, the, they have the locks. You know, for the whole Great Lakes system, you know, they have locks where they sort of, mm-hmm. you know, move the boats up and down, and you know, up, up to the next lake or whatever. And uh, so my brother would go right up to the edge of the locks and sort of stand at the very, very edge. And it was a pretty far drop when there was no water in there, and it freaked me out. This is why maybe I'm afraid of heights. And I'd be like, you know, mom, you know, Mark might fall in. And my mother would be very cavalier and go, that's okay. I can have another child. And so, uh, yeah, my mom. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually make, um, a lot of bread and, uh, I don't have a bread maker. I make it the old old fashioned way, except I use a stand mixer. 
Well, you know, hand anymore. Yeah, I mean, bread is not difficult to make. It's just it's just messy, you know. Or at least, I mean, I'm a messy person in general, and so making bread would be very messy. But what I like about the bread maker is just it's just very very little, unless you sort of, you know, miss getting everything into the little bowl. But yeah, the bread maker is incredible. All right, all right, Stuart. Uh, th- thank you. Thanks for uh, telling us all about 2012 and uh, and uh, ruining my my plan to get rich quick. Discovering a comet. Well, you you can still discover one and be famous. I mean, that's what Carl or Charles Messier wanted to do, but he he basically cataloged everything that wasn't a comet. Wow! And that's why we still use his Messier catalog. Oh, he wasn't a hockey player. Oh, so that was Mark Messier. Sorry. So I, I don't do hockey. I'm not Canadian. No, okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, do you guys do anything other than watch hockey? Uh, and worry uh, that the U.S. is going to roll over one day and crush y'all? You know, my, my issue with hockey is hockey, hockey starts in like, God, like September and goes to June. You know, this is like... That's a long season. I know it's 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 insane. Like I think like you know the, the season doesn't officially start in September, but they always have preseason crap. And then if you know the playoffs can go to June, and I'm always like, oh, this is a. I mean, even in Canada, June is pretty much summer, and I'm like, this is a winter sport. You know, we should not be playing in in June. But yeah, I've got I've got issues with hockey. So, yeah. well, did you want to ask me um, what it would take to falsify? My oh yeah, in lack of belief. Sure. Oh yeah. Okay. So what? So what now? You know, what would it actually take to to falsify your beliefs? Let, let's just let's just deal with deal with one like the, the the maybe the planet X. What would what would it take to falsify your your belief that uh, you know that that there is no planet X that's going to sort of sweep into the solar system and wreak havoc by 2012? Finding it. Finding it. <laughs> Yeah. I think it would go a long way towards falsifying my belief that it doesn't exist. Yeah, that's the great thing with astronomy, right? It's just like finding, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah or or even finding evidence for it. I mean, that's the thing with why big astronomy, where big astronomy is in quotes, doesn't exist, is that a lot of people think that the you know astronomers in their ivory tower institutions can just do whatever they want and hide all this stuff in the public because they have you know the 10 meter telescopes but this is something that amateurs can do and there are tens of thousands of amateur astronomers across the world if not hundreds of thousands and i'm speaking you know literal terms here hundreds of thousands of people with telescopes all pointed at the sky every night and you know the fact that no amateur has ever said, oh, look, there's this big object headed for us, should right. tell you that you know, either somehow Big Brother can control hundreds of thousands of people across every country in the, in the world, right. I want to say every country in the United States, right. and uh, you know, they just can't do that. Like, it's just, that's where you really get into the giant conspiracy theories. Right, yeah. Don't you know, they can't exist. And so if we were to find any evidence for Planet X that was real as opposed to, well, the Sumerian tablets say that the Anunnaki were here to mine our gold, then right. yeah, that would go a long way towards convincing me. 
Okay, cool. All right, Stuart. Well, thank, again, thank, thanks for being on. Have have a have a good night. You're 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 what what time zone are you in? I am in Mountain Standard Time, so it's oh. nine o'clock here. Okay, crazy. All right. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, have a good night, Stuart. All right. Thank you. Have you too. All right. Bye bye. Bye.